I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 19 this morning. Matthew chapter 19. You know, this passage that we're looking at this morning, and we will be looking at this week and next week, uh, Jesus, I've got to make the point up front, Jesus is not talking primarily about marriage. He's talking about divorce. And as we'll see, that's, that's the nature of the question that he has received. Uh, he's gotten this question from some of the Pharisees uh, who are before him, uh, and and. and they're testing him. They want him to say something that goes against their teaching on this topic and, and something that the, 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 the populace there will not like. And what better a topic to talk about than divorce if they want to get him into trouble. Uh, and so they, they ask him this question about divorce. And so you might be asking the question, well, why, if this, the topic is about divorce, why are we talking about marriage uh, this morning? How? Uh, and the reason is because in Jesus' response to the Pharisees, and he's responding to this question about divorce, and uh, you know, is divorce okay? Uh, and he, yet he begins with talking about marriage, and not just anything about marriage, but but the fundamentals of marriage, God's design for marriage. And so he, he goes back, way back, to the passages that we read earlier, uh, and he talks about what it's all about. And, of course, that makes sense, because before he's going to talk about how marriage can be torn apart, he's got to talk about what marriage really is. And I'll just say, if there is one thing that we do need a reminder about today, uh, it's probably this, God's design for marriage, because we live in a time and an age, we all know it, uh, in which marriage has suffered attack. It's been under severe attack from almost every direction. You know, it was, I was thinking about it, it was less than 20 years ago that uh, our family, or at least Amy and I, and I guess Callie as well, were back in, uh, in California, and the people in California voted at the ballot box uh, to affirm that marriage is between one man and one woman. That may sound strange. This is California we're talking about, but it was 2008. And that was the vote, and it was affirmed. And shortly after that, it was turned over by the courts. Uh, and if you look today where we are throughout the country, uh, it's a completely different picture and the word marriage bears less and less resemblance to that foundation that we know that God has provi provided the true definition of marriage. And even within the church, of course, it has become muddled. And so it's valuable for us to look back and to see and to understand what is it that God has given us in marriage. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're not going to look at every aspect of marriage, everything the Scripture has to say about marriage, certainly, but we are going to look at the fundamentals. Now, our, our passage uh, is rather short this morning. It really begins in verse 3. It goes through the first part of verse 6, chapter 19. I am going to read 
uh, beginning in verse 1 of 19 up to the beginning of verse 6, just to give us a little bit of context there. Uh, if you were here last week, the past couple of weeks, you may recall that uh, Jesus had been teaching his disciples about forgiveness. And before that, about discipline within the church. And now, all of a sudden, this crowd is before him. The Pharisees ask him this question, and, and it takes him in a completely different direction, yet a very important direction, uh, and one that we need. So again, Matthew chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Please join me uh, in prayer. Father, as we open up to this, this passage this morning, uh, we, we thank you, first of all, that, um, that we can go back to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, as Jesus does here, and we can see this foundation. We can see what you have laid down. You've revealed it to us uh, and with clarity. Uh, so we thank you for that. Uh, I pray that you will open our eyes and, and give us understanding and the ability to, to apply these things to our lives. Often we know that our greatest difficulty comes not just in, in seeing, what is written, understanding, but taking it on board, especially in areas that where our hearts may lead us otherwise, that they can be a, a real challenge uh, because of our own sin and other matters. Uh, and so we do pray for your help this morning. Uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to say something that's not uh, really politically correct. In fact, I'll probably say a lot this morning that's not politically correct. Uh, but, but that is true and is biblical. But this first item, I, I'm really just bringing out in order to, to make a, a, a point. And it's, it's this, that as many of you know, today is in our, in our culture, today is Father's Day. I, I didn't talk about it earlier, apologize for that, but today is Father's Day. Uh, and it's true that we should be thankful for uh, our, our fathers. And we should let them know. We should be thankful for our mothers and let them know. Yet if there's going to be a day for this, or for these kinds of things, I personally would prefer, and this is me personally, uh, that it would be a day of thankfulness for our parents' marriage, for mom and dad together in marriage. Uh, rather than just separately. That does seem to be missing, doesn't it? We don't really have that, a day to, to celebrate or to thank the Lord for that for marriage. And yet, as we just heard, that is the, the thing that God has elevated 
uh, as being of great importance from the very beginning. Now, he's given certain people the ability to be fathers. And certain other people, he's given the ability to be mothers. And there's no one here that can be both. Uh, yet, for both of them, he first instituted marriage. And he called it good. And he said, you need this. Now, I recognize in, in saying that, that I could be stirring up a bit of a hornet's nest because the immediate response might be that not everyone has come out of a marriage in their birth. And that many of the marriages that, that even those here in this room have experienced are, are, are broken in some way. And that there has been great sin and evil that has taken place in the context of marriage at times. And so, if we were to celebrate it, uh, then for one, we'd be leaving some people out. And for another, uh, others would really struggle with, with celebrating what they have experienced it. And it would create all kinds of problems. And that's true. And so I'm not really proposing a day of celebration for parents' marriages, but I am making the point that God has upheld this as sacred and as good. It's what He has instituted and He has called it marriage. Yet in this world, uh, most of what people think about or, or talk about uh, when it comes to marriage is all, and they even define marriage in this way, it, it all comes through this lens of brokenness and sin uh, and fallenness instead of through the lens of what marriage really is and what God has ordained, what, what He's provided and what He has called good. And if you think about it, it's not just people out there that do this, is it? It's we ourselves. We often think about marriage, uh, maybe talk about it in a certain way based upon the experiences that we've had. And we kind of, we can tend to create our own working definition for marriage that affects the way we view marriage and the way we speak about it to others. Uh, and it can bear very little resemblance to what God has ordained when it comes to marriage. Some people may, may say, ah, marriage is constricting. Uh, if I really want to do certain things, I want to go certain places, marriage serves a, 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 a constriction. It, it, it's a yoke that's put upon me. Or others might say, Marriage brings constant conflict in. Uh, that if you want to live a life that where, where you, you're not involved in conflict, all that, then don't be married. Uh, others might say, well, marriage is about commitment. And commitment's not a good word. Because a commitment means that I, I'm not going to have freedom uh, someday to, to make those changes that I need to do the things that I, I want to do. Uh, and all of us may be able at some point in our lives, and I point to myself, Amy knows this, uh, we can say that that's something that, that, that we had a real hard time with, the commitment that's there. Um, other people might say, this is based on experience. Men are just blank. Or women are just Blank, And you just fill in whatever adjective you want, uh, but it's something that, 
that is sane. It's another way of saying you know, marriage is, is not a good thing, at least not for me. And even those who may say that they find marriage to be desirable may be thinking about it, speaking about it in ways that, that really twist things uh, so that they highlight uh, things about marriage that really aren't uh, at the heart of what God has designed. So in all of these cases, what are people doing? They're looking at marriage through the lens of fallenness, of brokenness, and of sin. And you'll notice in our, in our passage this morning, the Pharisees were doing the exact same thing. Those who came to Jesus with this question, they were seen through the lens of human brokenness and sin. And, and they were talking about divorce as a part of marriage that God has ordained. And so they, they were... They were bringing forth before Jesus this concept of, of marriage that includes divorce. So what God has called good includes this other way that is a way out of it. And so what did Jesus do? He went back immediately and he talked about God's design for marriage. So before dealing with the wrong definition, the, wrong, the, the sin, the wrong thinking, he described marriage as it was given to man before the fall, before sin and evil had entered into the picture. And if you think about it, that's exactly what we need. Uh, we need to be reminded what, God, what marriage is and that, that God has ordained it. He called it good and He gave it uh, to us for our good and, and, and for the good of all those or, or all of that which God intends, including for His bride, the church. And so as we look at what Jesus says here about the, these fundamentals, uh, there are three important aspects that just jump out and that I'd like for us to see. First of all, marriage is only between one man and one woman. Secondly, marriage involves a leaving and a cleaving. And finally, marriage is about becoming one flesh. These are the fundamentals. So first of all, marriage is only between one man and one woman. This is a fundamental aspect of God's institution of marriage. That he was very specific in who the subjects were that he created and then that he gave together in marriage. And it's not as if marriage is this later sort of add-on that God provided that's separate from his creation of man and woman. No, in fact, this is, if you, if you look at the account that we read earlier, this is one of the most eye-opening and significant aspects of marriage, that it's, it's provided in and as a part of God's very creative act of man and woman, male and female. And so that's what Jesus speaks about first. Uh, look with me, chapter 19, verse 4. Jesus answered the Pharisees and said, Have you not read? Now let me stop there for a moment. Have you not read? He's going to point them back to Genesis 1.27. And what he's saying here is that this is what's written. This is God's Word. This is authoritative. So take it in, hear it. It's not there for you to change things and make it your own way. But this is authoritative to be authoritative in your life. And so he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning 
made them male and female. Now, what Jesus' intent here is, is clearly from the mouth of God uh, to tell them what marriage is at its most fundamental aspect. And what he goes to uh, is the creation account. One, uh, chapter 1, verse 27 of Genesis. Uh, and he says that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So one thing that we have to affirm uh, as we look at this entire account and see what God is going to do with the male and female that he makes, we've got to affirm that any definition of marriage that does not include this, male and female, and only this, one male, one, one man, one woman, is speaking about something else. But it's not marriage. Now, why is this so important uh, when it comes to marriage, apart from the fact that God uh, ordained it and He did it this way? And that's because marriage, at its very essence, is not just about two random people coming together. God made man, and He made woman, deficient in some ways. And He makes this clear. Now, I'm going to go back to the passage we read earlier out of Genesis 2, uh, verse 18. And what's clear here is that Man is not complete. There's something missing. Uh, verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. This is just after God has made all of creation. Uh, and at the end of it, He said, It is very good. And now, all of a sudden, He says, It is not good. And the subject that he's pointing to is that man should be alone. So remember what he said right after this. He said, I will make a helper fit for him. Now that word fit, this is Hebrew, and in the Hebrew language, that word fit is an interesting word because it actually means opposite. And it also means corresponding to. Okay, you got that opposite corresponding to. It's kind of like a like a key uh, that fits into one of our doors here that's, that's been designed specifically to fit into a particular keyhole. And it works in that keyhole. And yet if you look at the key and the keyhole, they're very different. They're almost opposite in many senses. Yet at the same time, they fit perfectly together. There is a perfect fit opposite and fit together. That's why many were to go around the room. I imagine there would be many men here who would nod and say, yes, opposite. Yep, she's, she's opposite in certain ways from me. Or many women would say, yeah, Opposite, I, I, I'll tell you, there's a book out there, you may have seen it, it's kind of old now, it's called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Uh, Amy and I read that book, it was after we had been married almost 10 years, it was a marriage counselor that had given us the book, and we read it with amazement. We've been married almost 10 years, and here we are looking at each other and saying, now I finally understand 
you really are way different than I am. And all of this time I've been thinking you were you wanted the same things. You were the same. Men and women are different. And God has made us that way in order to accomplish his good ends. And part of the, the corollary to that is that two of the same don't fit together and can never accomplish those ends. And what I'm what I'm saying here is that homosexuality is not only a sin. But it also can never make a marriage because it goes against the design that God has given. No matter what the state says, no matter what news media say, no matter what public, uh, the public school might say, God has designed us in a very particular way. And when God said, it is not good that man should be alone, I will make a helper fit for him, then he goes on and and he, he completes that. I will make a helper fit, corresponding to, opposite to, but corresponding to, both of these need to be there. Uh, and reading in, again, in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 24. And, I'll get to the right place. Uh, let's do verse 21. Yes, and so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. You know, it's really at this point, I think, that fireworks began to go off because then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Different, yet fit perfectly. One man, one woman, and an intimate companionship together made by God. That's a marriage. And that's it. No other definition will work. And, and let me just remind us here that this is God's doing and that God knows what is right because for many different reasons, and it could be our sin, it could be the sin of others, it could be the circumstances of life uh, that we're in at a certain point, but this may not seem right to us. In fact, it may not seem right to us at all. We may have other inclinations and other temptations. And we may say, well, for me, that's not right. Or for, or, or for others, we may say, that's not right. And some people may endure terrific struggles. Uh, and for some, those may involve same-sex attraction. I'm not going to minimize those struggles here. But I am going to say that at the root of this, this is fallenness that we're, we're talking about. This is fallenness placed upon marriage, upon God's good design for marriage. And so the way to deal with them is to deal with the fallenness, to deal with the sin. But it's not to change God's definition for marriage in any way. In fact, we can't truly do that. And so, so what are we to do? We deal with the sin. We look to Christ. 
the one who has atoned for our sin. And we look to Him to bring healing and cleansing uh, for us. Remember what we read earlier. This was uh, out of our uh, assurance of pardon. Paul said, and such were some of you. He was talking about sin, given over to sin, continuing in sin. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the answer. This is how we deal with the brokenness that's there. And then we see marriage for what it truly is. We begin to, to align our minds and our hearts with what God has given. That's what He intends. So marriage is good. And marriage is about one man and one woman. Also, marriage is about leaving and cleaving. Marriage involves the, the breakup, the, the removal of something that is temporary in favor of joining that which is permanent, at least permanent in this world. Again, back in our passage, verse 3, Jesus said, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Number one takeaway. Children are not to remain with their parents. This is by God's design. Yeah, there, there can be circumstances, but children are not to remain bound to them physically. They're not to remain bound to them uh, inti- intimately in their mind and heart. Uh, God's whole design for the family is that children are to grow up closer and closer to that point at which they leave. Uh, they, they, they separate. They're ready to go. Now, of course, in Scripture, there's no particular time given, and that may vary depending on the child, depending on the, the circumstances, but it's still a very definite time. And, and we know the time period uh, when it is. But don't miss this, because this has become much more prevalent in our culture today, and it simply stands apart from God's purposes The task for parents is to build into our parenting that our children are more and more ready to fly the coop. Now, I use that phrase very intentionally because I think think it provides a great illustration. Uh, We've all seen the mother bird that's nurturing and caring for her chicks. And she gathers the food for her chicks and and they open their mouths and she, she feeds the chicks and she gives them time and, and strengthens them. But there's going to be some point when she begins nudging them closer and closer to the edge of the nest. And then finally, if needed, pushes them off. Now that might seem cruel. Uh, that might seem harsh in some ways. But remember, what has she been doing? She's been preparing her chicks for this. And it's really the best thing for the fledgling bird. And it's the best thing for the flock as well. And it's the best thing because it is by God's design. And in the same way, this is God's design for children, this coming of age. And it's not just there for the purposes 
of separation, that the children might be on their own. But by design, by design, and there are challenges here, there are difficulties, and sometimes it takes some time, but by design, one should look for a relationship to replace the one that was there with parents. Now, it's at this point that somebody's going to ask that question uh, about the other path. What about that other path, uh, which is remaining single? Now, I'll just say, first of all, that there are some differences with the way this is seen in Scripture. But if we look at what God has said there in the beginning when He gave us marriage and when He made uh, man and woman... The implication is, seems to be, that marriage is the norm. Now, there are very clear exceptions to this, and I'll talk about those in a moment. But that God has made male and female, man and woman, with marriage in mind for all. Now, remembering there are exceptions. Uh, Think about what happened in the garden. There was a man and his wife there in the garden. They were not apart from one another. Uh, And then remember what he said, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And the same, of course, applied to the woman. And he's not speaking there specifically just about this couple. He's speaking in general. It is not good that man should be alone. There, there's, there's a need that's there, and then he, he goes on and he meets that need. There's loneliness that's a part of this. Now, we shouldn't be surprised if during a, a certain time of our lives, we are alone. There's going to be a time for that, a season, and we shouldn't be surprised if in that we are lonely. God himself said, it is not good now, he's not saying it's, it's sinful to be alone. He's, he's not saying there's shame there in being alone. He's just saying it's not for the best that we've been made for companionship, for help with life. And there are problems that can come into it. Uh, when we remain single, there, there is the possibility there. In fact, one of the, uh, we read about it earlier, one of the, the, the reasons for marriage we read, is for the prevention of sexual immorality. Uh, And and that is in in God's, He knows us and He knows our needs. That is in God's provision. Let me say here that some may point to a very important passage, the 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's a passage in which Paul upholds singleness and he upholds celibacy. And he makes it clear in that passage that God has given, first of all, a time and a season for remaining single. And that's true. And that's true in that passage. And he also shows that God has given, we see this other places as well. In fact, we're going to see it in the passage that we're, we're looking at here next week as we look at divorce. He also gives to some a particular gift for singleness and, and celibacy so that this person can live with a greater focus upon the Lord, a greater heart for the Lord, greater ability to serve the Lord. And He provides for that. And that's the implication there, that when it comes to 
passions, when it comes to loneliness, that the Lord provides for that. And there are those who have that gift, but recognize that it is a gift. And it is narrow. It's not something that a tremendous number of people have. It is that, that people need to recognize that, test it within themselves, and then live in that way and thank the Lord uh, for it. I will say that that passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is dealing with a, a, a current distress in that passage. There is a, a particular situation, a time or a season, uh, that causes him to speak to the people in these ways. But the norm, God's basic design, apart from these seasons of life, gifting of singleness, is for us to leave and to cleave. To leave and to cleave. Now just before I leave that, let me just say that there are going to be those who are single. It may be for a time during their lives. It may be that they have that gift but it may be that they're, they're, they're looking and, and searching. And so we as a church and individual families should be praying for those uh, who are in, in that place and praying for the Lord's provision for them. Uh, keeping in mind that His provision is going to be for another one who is in the Lord. It's never going to be one who is, is outside of the faith because that is to invite sin into the person's life and distress and any manner of trouble. But He wants us to, to, to uphold them, to care for those who are going through uh, those times. Uh, and, and, and never to make that, uh, of course, a theme thing of shame. Uh, so, leaving and cleaving, this is what God has given as, it, it seems, as uh, the, the basis for man and woman. Let me expand upon that last part a little bit, cleaving. Marriage is about becoming one flesh. This is really talking about the type of companionship uh, that I was uh, talking about later that we see when, when God said, it is not good that man should be, a, be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This intimate companionship, close companionship, union together. And it is for as long as you both shall live. It is a covenant union. Now this is at the heart of what, uh, of what Jesus is, is speaking about to the Pharisees uh, when He speaks about marriage. And He says, and He's quoting from Genesis uh, chapter 2. I'm going to uh, repeat a little bit of this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says it again, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now that may sound a little strange there, because what literally that is saying is that the two were separate before. But now in some way, they're becoming one person. So what does that mean? We know that we're individuals. Well, one aspect that is clearly talking about is the physical union. This is not the whole thing, but this is one aspect. That is the sexual union that takes place. And it takes place not only just as an act, but as something that's sanctioned by God and provided by God and called good and right in the context of marriage. And so we, 
we need the reminder that sex itself is not unholy. That's only when it's misused. But it is holy. And that the, the covenant bond of marriage within that, the Lord has ordained it. And Scripture strongly encourages it. And it doesn't give an end date to it either. Uh, we may physically have an end to that in certain ways, but He has provided for it. And it, it helps to provide the context for this oneness, this intimacy that God provides. And there is enjoyment in it. And if results in, I'm sorry, and it results in, uh, in another of the purposes of marriage, what's that? In children that the Lord brings into our homes. You know, uh, Psalm 127 says, Behold, the children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. This is all part of God's design. And notice, all of it flows out of this oneness, out of this intimacy there that's at the heart of this family that God has provided for. But it's not just the physical intimacy that's there, that's being described in one flesh. But there are other aspects as well. This is speaking of a deep need that we have inside. We see it in, those, in chapter 2 of Genesis. A deep need that's there for this most intimate of all human relationships. So that even though we are two, we can begin thinking as one in our mind and heart, in the ways that we begin to experience the things that we love, and in the ways that we care for one another and recognize one another's needs as well. We're a single unit together. You know, out of, uh, out of Ephesians uh, chapter 5, Paul quotes this, this passage where he's speaking about husbands loving their wives as their own bodies. He's speaking about Christ and the church and, and this mystical union of Christ and the church and, and he compares that to husbands and wives loving the, themselves as their own bodies. And he says that this relationship is so intimate that whatever a husband does for his wife, he does for himself because the two have become one flesh. And when this is happening in the context of the marriage and before the Lord, Think of all the other problems that might have been there before but are taken care of because of this, this union, this intimacy, this satisfaction that is taking place in, in, inside of, of both of these people, averting all those other problems that might have occurred. One person uniquely suited to complete the other. And finally, let me say this is a permanent relationship. You know, when we enter into marriage, we enter into that which is, by definition, a, a covenant relationship in which before the Lord, there is this bond that takes place before the Lord, a bond with the Lord and a bond between husband and wife. You know, we read about this in different places. One of those is in Malachi chapter 2, uh, where uh, uh, the, the prophet is speaking about this unfaithfulness. The Lord is speaking about unfaithfulness. Uh, and he says, uh, be, uh, because the Lord was a witness between you and your wife, 
of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. He's saying you are bound in covenant together. This isn't for just a time. This is to go on and on. Uh, and the Lord has provided for that. You know, we need to keep this in mind all the way through. We're talking about God's design for marriage. The things that I've been describing here are going to be foreign. And some, some aspects of this are going to be foreign to all of us who are in marriages or who come into marriages. Uh, they may not be at all our experiences, but keep in mind that it is sin that corrupts this. And that God has made marriage good. Sin corrupts. And every one of us here are sinners for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, the Lord God has provided for us. He knows us. He made us. He knows what we need in this area. And think of that thought that He has made us deficient in particular ways so that we will have problems in this life. So that we will be lonely. So that we will be driven to this which is His design. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? That God has made us deficient in this way so that finally uh, we will come together in the way that He has ordained and in marriage. And so we need to recognize this as the gift that He has given us in marriage wherever we are in our particular places. And we need to align ourselves with this, which is marriage. Marriage between one man and one woman. Marriage which involves leaving our parents, cleaving together uh, one man and one woman, and then becoming one flesh. And that's at the heart of what God has provided. I'll just remind you what we read before out of Psalm 84. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. This is part of God's provision for us, His good provision. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You that You do know us and that You are the one who not only made us, but who provides that which we need and that we can rest in that. So we thank You for that. At the same time, Lord, we know this is a, an area of challenge, an area of difficulty. Uh, because two people are coming together who are sinful and who are broken and who are wayward from You and from one another. And yet You've provided us with marriage to help us in the midst of our lives and, and to live out uh, as, as believers in this world. And so we do pray, Lord, uh, for Your help, for Your hand of help for us in our marriages. And, and we pray also that we would see them in a right way. And we pray that we will enjoy uh, marriage. We pray that those who are, are single will be able to see and to evaluate, is this something that I am to remain in this place? Or is marriage that which is for me? And then, Lord, uh, help us to have hearts to care for them and to pray for them and to lift them up to You. And, and we do pray that You will uh, meet that need that is there. Uh, Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us and Your provision in all the ways that You do. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.